0: Did you really buy something from the Amazon Prime Day today? No. Oh, okay.
1: See, I knew that was going to go nowhere. <laughs> now you got to start <sighs> over. I do. God damn it. No, I, tr- well, you, you're welcome to start that way.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll leave this in. It's no, fine. No, no,
1: don't, don't. Let's no,
0: start- I, eh, why not? Please don't. Okay. Let's start over. Okay. Starting over. Well, you, you start the show, you, you're, you're better at starting. No, I'm good. You're you're a starter. I'm a closer.
1: I'm not. I'm not so sure about that.
0: <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, I'll do it. Okay.
1: So, did you buy anything from Amazon Prime Day? I did not. Okay. I didn't either. And it, it it looks like most people were disappointed with it. I'm not sure what I was expecting. Um, did you have anything that you hoped would go on sale, like something you were just waiting for an excuse to buy, but you just can't pull the trigger on?
0: No, not really okay. um because because i because I, I, I did what was that uh
1: this is a, this is gonna sound like a weird old person thing to want, but I really, really want
0: a dyson vacuum oh i I recently just purchased one
1: <laughs> you have the world's smallest apartment
0: well and i I got the world's smallest most basic dyson is it the canister one or is it an upright one it's um, oh, or do you get the
1: stick vacuum because that doesn't count?
0: The stick vacuum.
1: Uh, that doesn't count. That's a, that's a kitchen sweeper, basically.
0: Basically. Okay. But, I mean, to your point, I'm in a studio that's primarily hardwood floor with two rugs.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> we we have a long, luxurious carpet everywhere. And and I really get a kick out of vacuuming. So I, I've been very, uh, very much eyeing a nice uh, Dyson. I I think the model is the uh, the Animal DC50 or something like that. But they're like $450, and I just can't do it at regular price. Yeah, they're they're very expensive. Um, they're great, but it's kind of like one of those. It's kind of like the, the Breville toaster, where you can get something that's generally fine for like a fourth of the price, but it's it's just very good. But I just I can't do it. But had that gone on sale for like four fifty markdown to like three hundred or two fifty, I I think um, there'd be a, a new vacuum cleaner around here.
0: You know what I was thinking about with Amazon Prime Day. I, I do think it was a good sort of marketing ploy it got them a lot of press got a lot of people talking about them although the kind of negative reaction to how it actually went I don't know if that kind of washed away any good feelings people you know previously had towards it Um, but I I was thinking that you know with with sites like Slick Deals and just sort of like the general availability of finding out about deals on the internet you know all day every day It seems like days like this and Black Friday and sort of like the holiday shopping season have sort of lost a lot of their importance. I mean, I I feel like throughout the year, as things come up that I want to buy, such as a vacuum cleaner or or really whatever, you know, I I just sort of look around for a deal. And then when one comes up, you know, I I just take advantage of it. I I don't wait for a specific day on the calendar or something like that. I think that's kind of true, but the trouble
1: with slick deals or that type of thing is uh, ordering from Amazon or a vendor I trust, it it does carry some weight. And I think that's where people are, I think that's why there was so much excitement around it because they were like, oh, my favorite retailer that does on-time delivery and is is easy to order from and that I have a good business relationship with, oh, they're going to be the ones offering me a good deal. Whereas sometimes like if I set up a deal alert, like I've seen a couple of Dyson deals uh, come my way with the uh, price alert thingy I have uh, set up on Slick Deals. But they're sometimes just from like weird vendors or it's like a third-party seller or something where I just don't want to deal with it, regardless of price. So I still see the appeal of like a, a top-tier retailer doing something like this. But I don't really like or understand the way that Amazon does deals. Like they do these like lightning deals that the stuff doesn't ever just get like sold out. It's just like there's these limited time windows and you you can get waitlisted for a product. And it's just it's it's very strange to me.
0: Yeah, in, in a handful of instances I've used a lightning deal or a gold box deal, it's it's usually been linked to from a different website. And so I've gone, you know, just directly to that product page from that external link. So I've never really just like looked through the gold box page or the lightning deals page, or I mean, I don't don't even know, are there, are there dedicated pages for when they do that stuff?
1: I think there kind of is. And I think that speaks to the problem that prime day had, because when I went to look to see if like anything cool was out there, I went inside of the application and it was just this completely unorganized, weird page that has had so much stuff that I wasn't interested in. Like it was like vitamin supplements and like dog toys and just weird stuff that like it would never be based off my search history and definitely wasn't based on like popularity or like actual like relevance it was just weird and also i don't like that amazon do you ever like are you shot if you shop for a gift for somebody or you're doing like price research on something for somebody else or something like you're vaguely interested in you have to do it like in an incognito window otherwise amazon like judges you forever and just won't stop showing you that stuff
0: Um, you know, no, I don't do that because I largely just ignore the recommendations that I see. And on top of that, I very seldom even use or see the Amazon homepage. You know, usually if I'm, if there's a specific product I know I want to look for on Amazon, I I just search for it on Google because, you know, that's I'll open a new tab. It defaults to the Google search bar and I'll just simply, you know, type in whatever I'm looking for and then put Amazon at the end and just go directly to the product page.
1: Gotcha. And are you a Chrome user? Of course. Uh, do you know how to use the the omnibox for that? Oh, of course, of course. Okay. I mean, well, I mean, is there is there something specific with Amazon in the omnibox? Well, no. If you put whatever like whichever site you want to use first, like if I want to go to a Wikipedia article, if I type Wikipedia first, that will automatically do a site-specific search. So if you do that for Amazon, it doesn't even take you to the regular Google results homepage. It does an Amazon search for it. Which I find to be faster, and the same thing works for uh, IMDb and a lot of other things.
0: I I so I just opened a Google window and typed in Amazon Dyson vacuum, and I was brought to a Google search results page. Um, let
1: me. Uh, this would be real good for the listeners, but
0: uh that's great.
1: Again, this is why it ne- you need to have like annotated show notes, and you have to. Again, I'm just going to assign you more work to do.
0: Well, okay, so I, I see this now. So it is a Google search results page, but it's all Amazon links. Is that is that what you mean? No. So I just sent it in, in the Slack of what it's supposed to look like. Hmm. Oh, well, okay. okay. I see. I just, I just typed in Amazon Dyson vacuum and just clicked enter. I didn't actually... Well, no, that's the whole thing where if you type that keyword and then hit
1: space, it automatically limits your search results to its kind of internal site-specific search engine. So that when you hit enter, it is just that result.
0: Well, actually, no. I'm not. I'm not seeing when I type in Amazon in space. I'm not seeing that option for an Amazon specific search.
1: Okay. Well, when when it's not a um, uh, a live show, uh, go to go to your Chrome settings and then click on Manage uh, Search Engines and kind of see why that's not doing that. Okay. But it's very useful. I enjoy that.
0: I see. Yeah. No, that does that does seem very useful.
1: Have, actually, on that note, quick uh, Chrome thing: Do you use the Google Voice Search on your on like your traditional computer ever?
0: No, I didn't know that was an option on the desktop. <laughs> okay. Is it? Re- I mean, really, you can use your voice on Chrome in like OS Ten? Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I I honestly had no idea. All right. I don't use voice activated stuff on my phone either, so. Okay. Except to set the timer.
1: Don't overcook that egg.
0: You know, I She's don't— She's been doing that less. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. I Schiller heard our show. Yeah, right. He's a big, uh, big fan. Big fan of Marco, big fan of the talk show, and of course, you know, a big fan of Technically Correct. <laughs> Ashley,
1: can I do—while uh, we're talking about Chrome, can I do a quick uh, pick of the week? Please. Have you ever used uh, Momentum? No. It's a a Chrome plugin that makes it so whenever you do a new tab in Chrome, it um, gives you a very, very nice looking page that says uh, the current time, shows you a nice, like, beautiful picture, and it allows you to set, like, a little reminder for yourself.
0: Let me uh, send you a link to this. This is replace new tab page with a personal dashboard featuring to-do, weather, and inspiration. New tab, personal dashboard that inspires you to be more productive. So I really like it because whenever you create a new
1: tab, like if there's just something that like you have to do today, but sometimes, you know, like you'll kind of stray from it and like just start dinking around online. When you hit that, when you do command T to get a new uh, tab open, it kind of just uh, smacks you in the face with uh, what you're supposed to be doing and uh, what time it is and how much you're wasting. Hmm. So I actually really, really enjoy it. Like the, the inspirational quotes, not so much, but um, you know, a nice, uh, pleasant picture. It's 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 very cool.
0: Well, maybe I'll uh, I'll give this a try when uh, when I get on the OmniFocus bandwagon
1: <laughs> <laughs> in twenty seventeen.
0: Yes, you got to give it a shot. But anyway, yeah, we'll see. All right, do you have a pick of the week,
1: or do you have anything that's uh, cool? Not to not just put put you on the spot, but
0: um, I I do, as a matter of fact. What's that?
1: And it can't the, be the Ford Edge.
0: The soda stream. Boo. So So two thousand thirteen. Yeah, so you know, we, we talk on the show some about how we get annoyed by the, you know, basically five or six companies which advertise on every single podcast. But they don't advertise. It's just that everybody talks about it, right? Is that true? I thought I, they... I, I
1: honestly don't think they've ever legitimately sponsored something. Gosh, you might you might be right. I think it's just that certain people will not stop talking about it. And again, I I do not think that well, anyway, I, I don't want to uh go ahead. I don't want to start crap talking on your on your uh your fancy purchase.
0: No, we'll have to uh we'll have to cut all that out. I my my whole point about me being influenced by a, you know, repetitive podcast ad is not true. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this was just a Actually, I have been influenced by repetitive podcast ads.
1: I think earlier this week I actually signed up for Squarespace.
0: Which oh, is we should, let's get let's let's come back to that. Yeah. Um it gets easier. I don't believe that. But yeah, we we really should come back to that. I'm actually I'm, you know, this this week I actually um have some notes. I I came more prepared than usual. So I'm I'm going to put this in the notes. Okay. Here. Squarespace. Um this is, so this yes, is a
1: disjointed show. All right, we're going to get yeah, this back well, on the
0: on the rails. You know, is that different from any other week, really?
1: I run a pretty tight ship. (laughs)
0: Well, that's true. Um, So the SodaStream. Um, This is not a fancy purchase, as as you just implied. Um, That's actually one of the reasons why I finally made the purchase was because I never seriously looked into one for a really long time. And then a friend recently purchased one about a month ago. And I went, huh, like, you know, not to, you know, not to intrude, but, you know, how much did you pay? And I think they they said you know seventy or eighty dollars. And I went, oh, I I just oh I always wrongly assumed they were like a couple hundred bucks or something. Um, and it turns out I mean I think there are versions that are a little bit more expensive, but the base model is like eighty bucks. And so uh, I did some shopping this weekend, and it was in a in an outlet store that um I walked by and uh, decided to uh, to make the purchase. This is the I I think it's their base model, because it, it is the one that's just $80, you know, comes with the actual carbonator itself, the carbonator bottle, and then the, you know, uh, what is it, the carbon dioxide little tube thing, little thing that you have to recharge every 60 bottles or so. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's neat. I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily, super economical. I mean, there are articles out there showing how how many, how many years it takes to like recoup your cost versus just buying, you know, bottles of carbonated water. But, you know, as somebody who really enjoys carbonated water and who basically drinks it exclusively, um, it's just, it's just, it's kind of fun. You know, like you don't, you don't really do it for the convenience or the cost, you know, similar to people who are really into coffee and who will you know buy the the fancy gr- you know grounders and uh, uh, grinders, <laughs> grinders 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 whatever thinking of coffee grounds? You know, they should be called grounders actually. If you think nope. about it, anyway, <laughs> um, you know, um, I've, I've lost my train of thought now. No, with with <laughs> with, uh, I flustered myself. No, with with you know fancy coffee drinkers, it's the same kind of thing where they they buy this fancy equipment and. You know. I don't think I,
1: don't, I disagree with that point, but whatever floats your boat? <laughs> because I don't think the level of difficulty in getting carbonated water really correlates to the quality of the product, which is where I think people who engage in like fussy coffee practices, what, what they get out of it. like using an Aeropress and all that kind of stuff and just like that, it's a pain, but allegedly it's going to do a heck of a lot better than uh, your uh,
0: DRM would Keurig machine. <laughs> That's a fair point, but I think what some people would say is that because you can control the level of carbonation and because you can basically come up with whatever flavor you want to, this is a, you know, superior version of carbonated water as compared to just buying something in the store.
1: Sure. Do you think you're going to use the flavor cartridges
0: though? No, so <laughs> I so that the the So we'll throw the, we'll
1: throw out that plus that you just mentioned.
0: Well, so the one well, no. So let me explain. So the one that I bought came with a um a packet of some sample flavors. And um, you know, these are the ones that were mostly like you know, like not sugar free, basically, like the ones that contain sugar and all that kind of stuff, which you know, I've I've with drinks especially I I try to kind of avoid. Um And so I tried one of those. It was like a grapefruit one, and it it was fine. Like it, it it wasn't bad, but I also didn't think it was great. Um, But what I did find on uh, Amazon is uh, SodaStream sells these, you know, like sugar-free, just like very lightly flavored um, flavors. Um, You know, no no sugar, no preservatives. Just it's just like a little like essence of fruit, basically, and you just put it like a half a teaspoon into a liter bottle and i actually just got those today and so i, I tried a couple out tonight and um they're, they're they're nice you know they don't add a ton of flavor but they add just a little bit um, um although you know honestly i've actually just really been enjoying the just regular you know kind of plain plain water interesting all right. So, You're so we'll you. see. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a purchase that I don't necessarily feel spectacular about <laughs> in terms of the economics of it and all that. But especially for, especially for somebody who, you know, I, I have free, you know, carbonated water at work and all that as well. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, Mr. Startup. <laughs> right. Um,
1: yeah, my only reason, like, I, I I think it's also kind of a cool thing, but my issue is that um is is chilling your beverage uh, how do you mean well, I mean you either have to use ice cubes or you have to like immediately refrigerate or freeze what you make do you not
0: well, no, so here's the thing so I have a brita, and so I've always got that <laughs> full and in the fridge, and so it's it's cold, and so whenever i just whenever I need to fill the soda stream, I just fill it from the brita, so it's already you know very cold water. <laughs> Okay. There's a there's a whole system.
1: I'm gonna stick with my uh, inefficient, just bottled bottled sparkling water in the
0: fridge. It's you know I I think it's it's just a it's kind of a fun thing I guess. I got you. It's an um, experience thing. Yeah.
1: And on and on demand sparkling water is kind of cool.
0: It is kind of cool. It's fun to make. We'll see if that wears off over time. But feels like you're in the future. No, not really, because it's a very basic machine it that doesn't even require electricity or anything how loud is it? Um, very loud <laughs> so 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 no late night
1: uh sparkling water or your neighbor's gonna get mad
0: no it, it's uh it's alarmingly loud <laughs> and they actually tell you that on the instructions like hey this is gonna be a really loud noise fantastic <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> again yeah. You keep mentioning like key selling points and then you keep going back on it.
0: Well, you know, one of the nice things I can actually, uh, we'll do a live demonstration of this on the show. So the, the carbonator bottle that it comes with, um, one of the things I was concerned about was, well, if I, you know, if I make a, cause you don't, you can only make a liter of this at a time basically. And you know, what if I don't drink all that at once, which what, what's that nice. in American? I don't know. Who knows? Half a gallon. I don't know. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's not. That's not true. Um, (laughs) um, By by, like a
1: factor of two, it's not.
0: (laughs) Whatever. Um, You know, I I was worried that if you didn't drink it all at once, it would just sort of like go flat. But it comes, the the bottle it comes with has this really nice cap that I guess, you know, makes a stronger than usual seal. And so, you know, this bottle that I have here, I made a couple hours ago or something, and I've, I've tried this overnight too. And here's, here's the, uh, here's the demonstration. I don't know. I don't know if that played very well, but, um, the point is that it it keeps the carbonation in the bottle, uh, very, very well. Um, I've, I've tried as long as 24 hours so far. And even after a day, um, it, it basically tastes just like it does, you know, right, right after you first make it. Cool. Mm. Delicious. So yeah, I guess that's my I guess that's my pick of the week.
1: Nice. All right, what's our first real story of the week?
0: Well, I guess if I had to have a software pick of the week, which would also be my my first story of the week, it would be the iOS 9 public beta.
1: All right, this is not going to be a this is not going to be a quick one. Okay, go for it.
0: So, I I've just been sort of curious first and foremost about how the beta program works. I've actually been sort of more interested in that than I am in iOS 9 itself. And so going into this, that was the thing I really wanted to learn more about. And so I made the decision to put iOS 9 on my iPad because, you know, I'm not a I'm not a crazy person going to put it on my phone, which I rely upon each and every day. Um, you know, Jason Snell on the most recent episode of Upgrade talked about something similar where, you know, he first put it on his iPad because he kind of viewed that as a device which was less, you know, kind of mission critical each day. If something were to go catastrophically wrong with my iPad, it wouldn't really be that big of a deal. Whereas if something happened to my phone in the middle of the day, you know, that would be an issue. Um, So the, the actual experience of putting the beta on the iPad when it's really the same for the iPhone as well is really easy you just you go to a website that apple's got set up you register your apple id um, you know you're instantly registered into the program it gives you a link which you then are supposed to open on your ipad or iphone whatever device that you're looking to install the beta on you go to that link um, it takes you to a download page where you download i don't really know exactly what it is some type of certificate or some small piece of software A provisioning Um, profile. I guess, yeah, Um, which then restarts your iOS device. And then when the device turns back on, you go to the regular software upgrade page, and you are prompted with being able to download uh, the latest beta version of iOS. Uh, So, I mean, the whole process took, I mean, about 15 minutes start to finish. And I think the longest part of that process was downloading the gig and a half or whatever iOS 9 is right now um, and, you know, installed without a hitch. Um, I've got it running on my iPad mini three and yeah, so far it's been fine. No, no major issues, no crashing. Um, all the third party apps I've used so far seem to work just fine. Um, you know, one of the things I noticed right away is that it, it runs pretty poorly on my iPad mini 3, which mm-hmm. quite, fr- quite frankly, I kind of expected because iOS 8 already doesn't run super great. Mm-hmm. Um, but iOS 9 runs noticeably slower than iOS 8 does, which, you know, I, to be fair, this is a beta piece of software and they actually have talked a lot about how they're hoping that iOS 9 runs even better than iOS 8 ultimately. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But right now it's, it's not great in terms of speed um <clears throat> you know the other thing that is is really a bummer so far is that um with the ipad multitasking stuff which was the one thing that i actually was you know really curious about with ios 9 is the fact that the you know, there's sort of two different versions there's the whole slide over feature where When you're working in an app, you can slide over from the side of the screen, either in portrait or um, horizontal mode, and you get a list of apps which you can then open up. So, you know, Messengers are a good, or Messages, rather, is a good example where you can slide that over, type out a quick message, and then, you know, go back to the app you were using. But it's really not, uh, it's not really multitasking. It's more just, you know, a quick way of accessing a secondary app and then quickly going back to the app that you were using. There's really no, there's really no bouncing back and forth between the apps. Um, so then, you know, the, the full multitasking view, which I think they call split view, Is where when you're in horizontal mode, you can truly bring a you know second app in, have it take up you know up to half the screen, and then you can very easily and seamlessly kind of go back and forth between the two apps. But you know that feature is only available um, on the iPad Air two and you know presumably whatever new iPads they come out with this fall. And so I guess you know kind of my my takeaway is that the the slide over thing is is nice I guess, but I honestly don't see myself using that very frequently just because, you know, double tapping on the home button and then going over to another app, like that's basically just as efficient unless the app that you wanted to access was, you know, buried way back in that list or something. Sure. But I guess, you know, overall, I just don't, I don't really find slide over to be particularly useful. So I think unless you have an iPad, which... Supports the split view feature, you know. I, I really don't think you could say that the iPad's really getting all that many new great multitasking features, which is sort of like the, one of the big selling points of iOS 9 on the iPad.
1: Well, I think, uh, what we'll, we'll get into why I don't think the betas are a great idea, but I think on the Air 2, I'm really going to look forward to picture in picture and the true multitasking
0: with split view. So Picture-in-Picture Picture is available on the iPad Mini 3, and I, I did use that, and that, that's pretty neat. Um, I can't really think of a scenario where I'd use it. Um, I mean,
1: you wouldn't, like, sometimes I'll just have, like, uh, hopefully um, Comcast, uh, or what what's it actually called? Xfinity TV Go, where I'm watching, like, CNBC or ESPN or something, and I want to actually get work done, but I want to have it on in the background like in the same way that I would kind of have a Chrome window in the background while I'm doing actual work on my computer. I think, like, well, but for you, again, you, you say that the iPad's more of a leisure device or kind of like an uh, an ebook thing where you generally don't feel the need to do much multitasking.
0: Well, I think more important than that, it's a device that I almost exclusively just use at home. And so if I want video on in the background, I just have my TV on.
1: seems like an easier solution.
0: <laughs> it I mean it, the feature does work really well and it's it's kind of trippy to be sitting there even just on the home screen and there's like this video that you can just, you know, you can move anywhere on the screen. So it's not like you have to fix it in a corner or anything. You can just literally put it anywhere. And it's it's kind of cool. Neat. Um what else with iOS 9? I mean the new keyboard's nice. It's the the fact that you can tell when the, you know, shift key is on or off is really cool. You know, go figure. What's been your
1: experience with the the new text selection from the keyboard?
0: I haven't really used it much because, you know, right now third-party apps can't take advantage of new iOS 9 features. It's just Apple's built-in apps, so like really like Notes is the only thing that I've really gotten to try that in. And it's, it's fine. It's, you know, it takes a little bit of getting used to, even like there's sort of like this mental thing where like, you feel like even you press on the keyboard, you're going to like accidentally, you know, tap on some keys, but it, it generally works. And, you know, it's nice. It's, I think it's, it's definitely easier than trying to do something similar just with your finger, like on the phone. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I actually still find highlighting and copying and pasting text, all that kind of stuff to, I mean, I think it's the it's the best solution that, that the, they really could have, but I still don't think it's that great on a small touchscreen. But,
1: but I think the iOS 9 keyboard solves that. Well, but I,
0: this isn't going to be available on the iPhone 6, is it? It'll be available on the 6 Plus. Well, but what if I have the iPhone 6? I'm just kidding. It's not going to be available
1: on the 6 Plus. I, uh...
0: I mean, actually, were they were they clear on that? I know that was a question some people had going out of the keynote was whether or not that would be a feature on the phone as well. It
1: won't be at least to start. Okay. And And I think that makes sense just because two finger gestures on the keyboard, like there's just not enough room to move around. Right. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I think it's as good as it can be. Um, some other, I guess, some other takeaways. Um, I actually find the new app switcher to be really ugly. I actually like the old one better. Mm. Um, it's not really that big of a deal, but as somebody who
1: uses their iPad with a keyboard, I, I, I think I'll live with it. Because functionality-wise, it's it's far better, right? And in what way? Well, I mean, isn't it going to be like, it's actually going to support like the standard command tab? Oh, sure.
0: Thing? I guess if, but I'm just talking about without using a keyboard. I mean, it's really, it's just the same thing with a different look. Gotcha. But it, it's it got the, you know, it's got the, the Palm OS card view thing.
1: Well, so, but that's what iOS 8 is.
0: Yeah, but this is like, it's, it's like a cover flow effect almost. Which maybe is which maybe is what I don't like about it. I never really liked Cover Flow either.
1: Well, they killed it in Apple Music, and they had to put it somewhere. <laughs> they, yeah, they brought it back. There were like three people that were bummed out about that. I find that funny.
0: You know, I guess maybe part of it is the fact that the animations just run so slowly on the iPad Mini Three. Maybe if I were running iOS nine, like the final version of it, on a you know new generation iOS device, maybe it would be nicer. Mm-hmm. But, um. And then there's, I guess, you know, there's the San Francisco font, which is the system font. No, it's, it's fine. I don't know. It it doesn't, it doesn't look a ton different, I don't think, than, what was the, what's the previous, what's the text or the system font on iOS 8? Helvetica. But it's, it's not just standard Helvetica. It's like some version of that, right? No,
1: I think it's just Helvetica. On OS ten. it's Helvetica Neue.
0: I thought that's what it was in iOS. That's what I was thinking of. I don't think so. but it now, could be Whatever. Wrong.
1: Well, it it might be a lighter font weight.
0: It doesn't... I mean, I guess at first glance, it it's not a dramatic difference. I mean, when you actually sit there and stare at it, like, yeah, it, it looks different. Sure. But... And and I should
1: clarify into kind of... Uh, I think in a previous show, I had mentioned kind of a fear that I had that it was going to be dramatically uglier. But that's because the watch, which was the first device to use uh, uh, the San Francisco font, uses a variant of it called San Francisco Compact where on like a full high resolution display it actually looks much better and closer to uh Helvetica or a kind
0: of a typeface we we know and love. Yeah, I mean there were there were those people who were hacking that font onto OS10 and freaking out about how bad it looked, but yeah, it turns out that it was a variation of it which was meant for, you know, small screens like the watch. Yeah. So okay, so you you think that these betas are a public betas are a bad idea? I do. Why why is that? Because I think
1: Apple already had a way of reaching their intended audience. I think the people that should be using beta releases of iOS, I, I, and kind of OS ten. I think the problem is less. Is 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 not quite as magnified with iOS or with with uh, Mac OS X. But on iOS, I don't think regular end users need to be given the opportunity to beta test something when their feedback will probably not really make a difference. I think the people who need to be using it are the people who already had access to it. I think the only things gained from the new iOS and OS X public betas are, are they're all bad things?
0: I I don't really follow. What do you mean? And why are they bad things?
1: Like like w- what what is to be gained? All I see is a bunch of people who don't really know what beta software is, are updating their devices using software that's not ready for prime time on their primary use device, and are now just mad at Apple and mad at third party developers whose software should not have to be compatible with something. That's not finalized. I just
0: I don't see what's to be gained from this. See, the only part of it that I agree with is is the third party app issue, but that's that's more of a problem with the way that app reviews work in the app store. But not and really le- less a
1: function of because th- those those unnecessary n- and negative app reviews are from people who, d- if if they're leaving that review, it means they don't understand what beta software is they're coming in with an expectation that they should have a flawless experience on something with software that's running on an operating system version that's not near final like if if they think that that should work perfectly they shouldn't be running beta software and that's where i just don't see the benefit of letting non-developers use it
0: Mm, uh, because if somebody
1: was really that committed to it they could pay the $100 a year and become an Apple developer if they really wanted to because those people because they're having having to put money on the line understand enough to know that they shouldn't complain about
0: that Mm, I guess I don't know I'm not nearly as down on that idea as you are I I agree that you're going to get a lot of people in the program who Don't really contribute positively towards it, but I mean that's that's on Apple that kind of sort through. You know, I I don't, I don't really. I'm I'm waiting for the positives. What is to be
1: gained from this?
0: Well, the positive is that they just get a much larger volume of feedback.
1: But Apple already has too
0: much feedback from developers. Radars go completely unanswered. Uh, I I I don't know if that's true. Phil Schiller said that wasn't true. He said they read them. Um, I I just I don't I think I think making the argument that not a lot of good comes out of this is a fairly reasonable one, but saying that this is a bad thing I, I don't. But again, if nothing that. good comes out of it, then why is it a good thing? It could be. It could be neutral. Then It doesn't have to be bad.
1: Well, no, but it becomes a net negative when you have a bunch of people leaving horrible reviews for independent developers that and now have users that have unreasonable expectations. People who already, even when there aren't these weird bugs and having to deal with non-production uh, software, leave terrible reviews because something costs a dollar.
0: So, Like I said, though, that that's an issue with the the App Store review process. I mean, a very simple fix would just be to not allow people who are running beta versions of iOS to leave app reviews. I think that was something that... I think it was Jason Snell who who brought that up on upgrade. And that's, that's a great idea and that would instantly solve the problem. Sure. Again, I, I just I I don't
1: I'm waiting to hear the real positives. Because because the, what you I mean what you said is just that there's the chance for slightly more feedback, most of which I think is going to be from people who won't be able to communicate what is good or bad with it in a way that's productive.
0: I mean, I guess this isn't like a a great case for it, but I mean, just speaking personally, I think it's really neat. I mean, I, as a person who's interested in Apple and who wants to see the direction of their software, I, I just, I think it's really great to be able to instantly, you know, download a a beta version of that software and kind of get a a sneak peek at you know what's coming this fall sure i i just think you fall into probably
1: the five to fifteen percent of people who will be installing the beta software and would contribute positively to the experience and derive a lot of benefit to it from it
0: well well, thank you. I I'll I'll take that as a uh take that as a compliment. Assu- most certainly you should.
1: It's just I I just think, I don't know. I just there's a lot of things where just what, what Apple does, I I don't see what, what what is to be gained. If anything their software needs more time in the oven, not not to have distracted focus from
0: people who have no business running it. More time in the oven and not a larger oven. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be
1: inside a Breville six hundred and fifty.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really thinking about that. But that
1: also just seems like a trade in the Dyson and the SodaStream and get yourself a Breville.
0: Yeah, but I like, I like the, I like the Dyson and the SodaStream. I don't use my toaster very often. You would never have mushy pizza again.
1: Oh, I just eat my leftover pizza cold. G- gross. Oh, no, no. Hold on. Okay, so new, new topic. No. Gross! Come on.
0: I mean that that hot dog pizza. I'm sure would be disgusting, cold. But no, le- leftover cold pizza is fantastic. I mean, it, it's it's its own food group. No, and it no, is it's it's wonderful. it's all the calories, except it's not appetizing at all.
1: Well, I mean that's just that's just wrong. What do you mean it's wrong? No, it it, it... W- w- oh, No, <laughs> because again, like pizza is 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 uh, an unhealthy food that you come to terms with. It's a terrible nutrition values because it's so delicious and the cheese is so gooey and it's just everything is perfect about it. And when it's
0: cold and stale, you're getting like a fourth the taste. Well, cold pizza is not necessarily stale. I mean, you're storing it wrong. Cold pizza can still be fresh. No. (laughs)
1: No, it can't. There, there's no, there's no gray here.
0: No. Yeah, I mean, I'm right and you're wrong. You're right. There is no gray. No, n- I, I, if, if there was a poll, if you could put a Squarespace poll up, um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know how to do that. I wouldn't be able to figure it out. <laughs> I don't even know if there is.
1: <laughs> if, if you send send out a Mailchimp, and and you get Freddy to collect the responses, like no cold pizza, no. It, I really want to ask Darth. Do it i probably will go for it do it right now no we'll, we'll do it after the show you, you can edit it out um it, it just no i'm sorry cold pizza no i'm
0: sorry okay all well right. you know Movement, just just like on. the just like the ios public beta we can agree to disagree if that's all you want to look at it sure i i, I kind of tr- i try to tie that in somehow it's that's the best i guess no, but
1: again you're you're choosing two things that you were objectively wrong on
0: well, and I, I think you're objectively wrong. So, ha. Okay, it's a stalemate. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what next? Um, so I, I want to talk about something that we uh, texted about some this week. I forget exactly how this got brought up, but sort of like the feeling, like the self-conscious feeling you get when using Apple Pay and Passbook, particularly on Apple Watch, so like, so my recent experience with this was I purchased some movie tickets for myself and some friends on Fandango and I, you know, I downloaded the Fandango app, which has passbook support. And so I downloaded the tickets to passbook. And then what I noticed was on the watch, when we got close to the theater, it popped up a little thing. So, you know, saying, Hey, your movie tickets are available here. And went, Oh, like I, I had forgotten that passbook was even a thing on Apple watch. Um, and so I'm like, well, let's give this a try. And so, you know, I, I used the watch when we went to the ticket counter and, you know, it it worked exactly like it does on the phone where it, it creates a QR code and then someone has to scan that code. And, you know, the guy, um, scanning my watch actually didn't, he didn't really even skip a beat. I think this is something, you know, he had seen before, which I guess, is a benefit of living in San Francisco. Um, he literally used the phrase, sir, can you, can you please bring your wrist closer to the scanner? Because <laughs> I guess I was too far away at first. And it, you know, I was with a group of friends and we just had a good laugh over it. But, you know, like if I were just, if I was like by myself in public and like something like that were to have happened where I was you know, surrounded by people I didn't know, like that would be a very sort of like awkward moment. And I, I kind of feel that way every time I use particularly like Apple Apple Pay is the thing I use more frequently than Passbook. Like I kind of felt that way even using my phone to pay, and I really feel that way when I use my watch to pay. Like is that a, is that kind of a just a ridiculous feeling?
1: Yes and no. Um yeah, I I think I brought this up with you as well. And and because I've been kind of going back and forth of, of now that Trader Joe's accepts uh, Apple Pay, whether or not, like, or what the practicality of using it with which devices. But I I think that there's always the fear of being that guy, of some, either the person, like, it's this, like, do you ever stand behind somebody in line uh, at, like, Safeway, and they pay with a check?
0: Oh, yes.
1: I think, like, you would be, like, you were the, the, the techie equivalent somebody writing a check is that an apt analogy um only if only if it didn't work which it kind of didn't
0: sort of well yeah when that happens i mean my my experience with apple pay has been really really good i think of the few dozen times i've used it i i think it's only not worked once so when it works it, that check analogy i don't think is very applicable no no that's but... that's
1: what i'm saying it's it's the fear of of being the check guy either because the software solution it isn't fully baked which i think for apple pay it's it's completely baked it's passbook that i have an issue with like it's the same reason why at starbucks i kind of do and don't like paying with the application just cuz like if the if the scanner's having issues or or whatnot, you you look like an idiot that just Standing there trying to get your weird QR code to read so you can pay for your egg witch, I just th- that's the that's the issue. But Apple Pay I think is is fully baked. It's just the issue where either the reader is not hooked up properly or not all the terminals at whatever you're paying or wherever you're paying uh, doesn't support it yet, or it's artificially turned off. Like there's still a whole bunch of silly merchants like Best Buy and um, and Rite Aid and a few others that have the Terminals ready to support Apple Pay and contactless payments, but they've artificially disabled them uh, just to spite Apple so they can get people to use their own uh, shitty wallet that nobody wants to use. So I, I think it is fully baked, but it's it's Passbook that really like if I, I don't travel uh, a whole ton, but like at an airport, I would never want to use Passbook for um, like boarding passes or something mission critical, or at least I would have to like print out or bring something secondarily. So that I don't freak out that like my confidence level in passbook related things is not at the level it is for most other things.
0: The boarding pass example was what I was going to bring up too, because that's by far and away the most common example of what I've used passbook for. And that's exactly what I did the first handful of times I used it was I actually printed out a physical ticket as well, just to, you know, be safe. But I've gotten to the point and I've used it enough now where I, I don't do that anymore and I, I, I do trust it. And actually, and, um, and I think uh, that's probably a poor example for me to bring up.
1: Um, I mean, it, that's where most of my fear would be because it's it's like... No,
0: no, I think, no, you're actually, you know, I think you're totally right. And what what I do see every time I travel and I, you know, I myself have had this happen, you know, many times is you go up to, you know, scan your phone when you're boarding the plane or when you're in TSA and it just it just doesn't work. You know you have to kind of sit there. Usually the scanner is is horizontal, and so you have to kind of sit there and turn up the brightness on your screen, and you know hold your phone at various distances from the scanner. And um, you know I I've seen you know four or five people run into that exact same issue when you're boarding the plane, and it, it does become somewhat of a you know, obnoxious thing very similar to the the check example that you used. Sure.
1: And and one quick side note, at least on iOS eight or later, uh the iPhone will automatically put the screen up to full brightness, as does the
0: watch to to avoid that situation. Um well okay, you know what I was thinking of with that recently was um Southwest fix this so this is no longer applicable but they used to with their mobile boarding passes they didn't have passbook integration they just had a button when you were checking in where it saved a screenshot of the qr code to your photos and so you were expected to pull that open in your photos to scan and obviously then that doesn't prompt the phone to turn its brightness up but you are right when you when you access a qr code or a card or whatever it's called in passbook it does automatically turn your screen brightness up, so that that is no longer an issue, but this the you know the reader itself and kind of how far away you're supposed to be and all that that that's still very much an issue, yeah, uh, anyway, like uh, yeah, so
1: so passbook is where I have concerns, particularly on the watch just because the screen is so darn small like i've I going back to the Starbucks example, I have considered using it, but just whenever I pull it up, and also if you're doing anything but Apple Pay on the watch. Getting the passbook is, is is kind of a ways out there because you have to hit the, the home button however, whatever requisite number of times you have to, to get it to the honeycomb screen and then scroll over to passbook and then swipe over to the thing and then tap the appropriate card and then tap the barcode and then it finally shows up. But for me, it just seems too darn small to the point where it probably wouldn't work. And then I, I would be, in fact, that guy writing a check.
0: Yeah, the other really good point you brought up was kind of whether or not using, let's stick with Apple Pay, really is easier than the alternative, which of course is, you know, pulling out your wallet and just using a credit card. And I think with the phone, the answer to that for me hasn't ever been that clear. Like really pulling my phone out of my pocket is just about as much effort as pulling out my wallet and just pulling out a card. Um, but it has been my experience with Apple Watch that using Apple Pay on the watch is truly quicker and easier than either pulling out my phone or pulling out my wallet. Um and kind of even like in a <clears throat> kind of a extreme example, I, I went to Walgreens um after a run recently and I didn't even didn't even have my wallet with me and I had my iPhone in a you know armband case thing. And so it was way easier just to use the watch to pay than it would to either, you know, bring credit cards with me on the run or take the phone out of my armband case. So
1: I'm gonna stop you right there. Is that that's a situation that would make me very nervous to the point where like I would go pick out whatever I wanted and I would head to the front and even though you have two contactless payment capable devices with you, What if the reader just doesn't work and you just, you look like an idiot and you're there and like, well, I guess I can't buy this.
0: Bye. I guess the only reason I felt comfortable doing it was of all the places I've used Apple Pay, Walgreens has by far and away been the most reliable. So I I just sort of, I kind of take it for granted that it's going to work there. Um, If you were at a place where you, you hadn't done it before, what would your confidence level be? Zero. Yeah and that's that's where i think the, we go full circle and get back to the kind of the original problem we brought up which is where i just don't have the confidence to you know u- use these use these features yet and i feel like you know like i guess what i was thinking about though was going back to the whole mobile boarding pass thing i felt that way when i first started using mobile boarding pass it wasn't that i didn't just rely on the system. I also kind of just felt like that guy sometimes. And now I don't feel that way, and I think the primary reason for that is because I would say easily when I'm in an airport now, it's at least 50/50 between people who are using their phones versus um you know physical boarding passes. And I you know I think a lot of that has to do with where I live and all that, but a lot more people now I see using their phones for mobile boarding passes. So it's almost like it's become like the, the social norm. And so I, when I'm in an airport now, I almost don't really give it a, a second thought. Sure.
1: Yeah, again, I think mobile boarding passes are, are, are kind of the most common and accepted use of passbook. For me, like concert tickets or event tickets or gift cards or any of that other stuff is what would um, make me more, more nervous. And also to the point where with Apple Pay, if it's an unfamiliar place, I will kind of like try it and also kind of have like the other hand on my wallet so that at the drop of the hat where it doesn't work, I'm not that person.
0: I think the other problem too is if you're going to a kind of a, a retailer maybe you're not that familiar with, I mean, you you don't even know if they accept contactless payments to begin with. Well, normally on
1: odd, uh, you'll know if like because it's becoming more like you can tell very easily depending on how it looks, of whether or not they're using like one of the new like Verifone signature like because if you go to most places that have contactless payments, you'll see that they have a very like two main types of terminals that support it. Like, have you been to Target and Trader Joe's and oh, recently?
0: I have. They've they've got the new the new readers that support the whole you know chip and pin thing.
1: Uh, at target or trader joe's at target so target uses the exact same one as as trader joe's which supports nfc but they just have it artificially turned off so that you can't use it but yeah
0: actually can we so have we wrapped up the apple pay talk real quick i mean yeah, the only thing i'll I'll close out with which i already kind of said but i think it's worth repeating which is I, I really do think that apple watch or apple pay on apple watch Really is the first time I've been able to say that it. This is better than just pulling out my wallet. I, I I do think it's really really handy.
1: I I think anywhere people will use it, whether it's on the phone or the watch, is is very important. And I think the phone for for Apple from Apple's perspective is the is priority one because it's like the watch is not going to reach the adoption levels they need to make to kind of unseat. Traditional cards as the preferred payment method, like they, they've got to get people to buy Apple Watches first, and then get over the hump of actually trusting it to do payments first. But I, I think Apple Pay is going to actually be in a, a very important business for them eventually. But anyway, sorry to go back to Target. Have you have you shopped
0: and had to uh, dip your card yet? I have. I guess the way that their terminals work is if you have a card which you know has the the chip in it, you, you actually can't swipe it you actually exactly. have, you have to, to use yeah i i I was that guy the last time i was at target because I, I didn't know about that so i like swiped my card like three times and the woman's like hey you know you gotta dip it <laughs> is that is that what you said
1: yeah so with an emv card you have to dip the card into the reader and it basically sits there and the the point of sale terminal and the uh, card reader will kind of chat back and forth for a while so it's not one of those things. It's not even where you do a swipe into the machine. It has to stay there for the duration of the transaction to verify that it's a valid purchase and it's able to i uh, authenticate your card.
0: Yeah, and you know, my my experience at Target and then there's a coffee shop down the street that that just got um just got their new reader in and they they also use the the chip feature. I found it to be really slow. So it's not really slow,
1: it's just that it has it if the card needs to be involved in the transaction longer.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that so could total transaction be, yeah. time should be
1: about the same. But I mean, for me, I think this this is going to be a really, really painful transition to to chip based cards, just because uh, Americans are so unfamiliar with it. It's just going to take a lot of learning, and to me, that makes me pessimistic about the future of 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 tap to pay. Because this is not that different, and this isn't separating people from their plastic. But also, like just the lines at Target have been way worse than they normally have been, just because everybody's having to relearn this. Because everybody's getting chip-enabled cards, because come October, every single merchant has to have these new EMV readers. Otherwise, they're on the hook for a whole ton of fraud liabilities. So everybody will be using this before the fall. And it's just going to be a
0: mess. I have noticed that it seems because like, it just in the last i'd say four weeks all of my cards have been replaced with you know the the what what what's the phrase you're using e m v it's an e m v chip okay and then I've noticed that almost every retailer I'm at now has the new the new terminals and they've so many of them are not using them yet like i I went shopping this last weekend and went into i don't know four or five different stores and they all had the ability to use. You know the, your the the EMV chip, but none of them were. Yeah, that's that's
1: going to be kind of in in like a test phase for a while. But yeah, everything will be launched before October because the whole thing now is that if somebody has a chip enabled card, but it is not used with a chip enabled reader, come October first, if your card's stolen, the bank's not on the hook for it. The merchant that the information was stolen from is on the hook. So from their financial perspective, now everybody's going to be using it. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be tricky, but yeah, it just, again, it makes me nervous about how quickly tap to pay will come about, but also with the whole infrastructure change to those chip enabled readers, almost every single one of those that people are buying also supports NFC. So it's just whether or not they choose to enable it. So that's also promising for Apple pay.
0: Agreed. And And Android pay. Right. I think what gets undersold in all this, too, is, is not the convenience so much, but the security. Most definitely. Um, that, that's that's a huge thing. I mean, the fact that through both contactless payments and through these EMV chips, the merchant that you're dealing with isn't even getting your actual card number, that's huge.
1: Yeah, they're getting a randomized card number and also a single-use token for that particular transaction.
0: Right. Good. Good times that's our <laughs> yeah that's this, this whole transition to both you know emv and contactless payments can cannot come soon enough
1: yep and as always europe and canada
0: have been way ahead of us uh, yes very much so all right um you well, got another thing? Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of a uh, couple of topics. We're running a little long, so um, yeah, we're we're doing okay. Do you, do you want to come back to the Squarespace thing this show, or do you want to maybe save that for like a future episode? Sure. What what, what were you going to talk about? I, I wanted to I wanted to come back to your idea that you have found it easier. Kind of no.
1: Well, we'll save it for another show.
0: But okay. I, I signed up to do a personal website,
1: and at the start, it was just impossible for me to wrap my head around
0: yeah let's maybe let's maybe put some thought into that and we'll we'll come back yeah. to that like next week sure um new ipods <laughs> you excited about that uh, yes so i think okay so so you know the the story is new new ipods were, were released today and i don't it's not really the the ipods themselves that are interesting or really the story it's the way that they were released. You know, it it really was just a handful of years ago. I mean, and it was even post-iPhone, you know, the couple of years after the first iPhone where, you know, the iPod Touch was introduced. Like, the iPods were still a key part of usually Apple's, like, fall event. And in just a handful of years, they've gone from being a marquee product prominently featured at one of the you know most watched events of the year for Apple to simply being announced through a press release that's a that's a pretty it's a pretty remarkable change and it's amazing how fast it happened yeah
1: i mean apple was made good on being their own uh, best enemy so yeah
0: well but don't don't spoil the last topic i want to get to but we'll, we we will come back to that
1: I don't know what you mean but uh, yeah I mean iPods just I'll, like is it weird that I didn't remember what the iPod nano looked like
0: <laughs> No cuz it it's like, still <laughs> it's still I mean it's still it, it, it has a screen and it still runs like like don't call it iOS but it really is iOS It's not though but the thing that was weird about it, like cuz I remember the
1: last iPod I remember really was was like the fat nano do you remember that one? I do. I think I had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I know they had the one for a short period of time. It was very short-lived that
0: people tried turning into a watch on Kickstarter. Oh no, that that's the one that I had. Yeah, it had the really small screen. That yeah. that was the first one that ran this not iOS iOS software. Yeah. And then it
1: just Yeah, super super strange. The iPod Nano is is really weird. Like from like I remember The only one I ever owned was one that, it was a product red one, and I think it was like the third generation, the one after they got rid of like uh, the weird, like super easy to scratch metal back.
0: So I I actually think my favorite iPod, as I owned a handful of different models over the years, my favorite iPod was the very original Nano. I remember actually, I bought the original Nano the first day it came out. Um, Was it
1: the 2 gig or the 4 gig?
0: I think it was just probably the, the two, I think it was just the two i mean i was I was in high school, so you know I <laughs> saved money where I could, sure, um no, because you know i I primarily wanted to listen to music when i when I went running, and you really couldn't use a you know regular iPod uh to do that, and they they did come out with the shuffle before the nano, but for me, I just like the fact that it didn't have a screen like that was just a total non starter, like the fact that you had to prearrange your music into playlists or you know your podcast whatever you want to listen to like before you went out like on your computer that that just that was dumb so the nano for me was like huge it was it was exactly what i wanted and really from the moment i got that nano i kind of stopped using my like full-size ipod and i like my the nano was really like my primary music device pretty much all the way up until i got you know the iPhone.
1: It was a great replacement to the iPod Mini. I, I did not like the first Nano because I always thought it like the symmetry on the product was just completely wrong. But it, it was a very, very important product in the long run. Like you didn't ever feel that way where like the screen was just absolutely tiny and it only took up like 20% of like the front of the iPod and there was just so much white space around it.
0: Yeah, I mean they they tried to make it look too much like the regular full-size iPod. Like they they kind of took the iPod mini or iPod nano rather moniker too seriously. Like now that now they do a good job of between the different iPod models, they there's no effort to t- like try to make them all look the same. Like they all they all are very much built with their particular size in mind. Well, if they're being built at all,
1: Again, because does anybody
0: care about iPods
1: other than the iPod Touch sort of, which is just a product for people aged 8 to 13?
0: I mean, Apple has always been a, a company which isn't afraid to, you know, kill off product lines. So, well, i do not I don't sure if it's really kill,
1: killing off product lines. I think it's the customer has moved on because there's a better option for them. Well, no, but, that, that's what I'm. It?
0: That's what I'm saying, though. I don't think Apple's making these out of the goodness of their heart. I mean, they're only going to continue manufacturing these if enough people are buying them, and you know, clearly, clearly today's news proves that enough people still are.
1: Well, I mean, but I think it's a product that's in maintenance mode right now. They're going to keep making it until it stops making the money, which is why the iPod Classic eventually died, just because probably the the cost of continuing to make the product it just became not worth it. And right now the iPod Nano and does the iPod Shuffle still exist? It, uh, it does, yeah. Like those probably are still just barely making enough money to make them worth it. I think the iPod Touch does have a reason for existing, but the other two uh yeah, their days are probably numbered.
0: Well, anyway, I did I didn't actually mean to turn this into a conversation about the actual product <laughs> itself. I just I just was really really fascinated by the way these were announced today sure and it kind of it kind of makes me wonder like you know you never really you never would have thought 10 years ago that we would have been at this point point. and it kind of makes you think like 10 years from now like is this same thing going to happen to the iphone no i don't say i don't know how you can definitively say that I mean, yeah it, it totally seems unlikely but i mean who knows But
1: I mean, I I think I can honestly, like I can very confidently say no, because the idea of having a three to five inch internet connected square in your pocket is not going to go away. It's going to get dramatically better. Hopefully it'll get faster, both processing power wise and and connectivity wise, but I don't think that's going to go away. It's just going to keep getting iterated upon and new features like I think the iPhone's a much more dynamic product than a single purpose music player that also kind of like did workout stuff. So no, I, I don't see a world in which the iPhone doesn't exist in ten years. No, no, no. I don't mean to imply that, but it just it, to be Or that there's sort something of... newer that's better than it. Like where the iPhone becomes a secondary product line. I don't see where that happens in ten years.
0: Never say never.
1: No, I'll say never. <laughs> or I mean I, at least I'll say not in the next ten years. Like I'm, like what what el- what would it be? Do you are you, are you suggesting that eventually the watch is gonna be everything? Because it won't. Well
0: no, I've I've very explicitly said on the show I don't think the watch is that thing.
1: Well no, but what I'm saying is even like four generations from now, the watch won't be that thing for form factor reasons. I completely agree. Okay. So the iWatch is here to stay. Or sorry, the, the iWatch. <laughs> the, the Apple the Apple phone. The,
0: uh, <laughs> What what is what is happening? The iPhone. <sighs> All right. Okay, so so we're, you know, run, running a little long. Do, do you have do you have some topics? I, I do want
1: to know if you have any opinions on Comcast Stream or Xfinity Stream or whatever it's called.
0: I I do. Yeah, I have, I have some notes on that this week. Okay. Um so some you know, some stories came out about this and people were kind of making it a big deal. But I don't think it means anything. And the the reason I say that is because, you know, Comcast is the exact same provider who you're getting TV from, is the exact same one offering this new service. And so, you know, people are kind of making a big deal about, oh, well, it's like this cheaper $15 alternative, blah, blah, blah. But like the way that I see it is, if eventually too many people switched off of their traditional cable subscriptions and just signed up for something like this, all Comcast would do is just raise the price gradually until they were getting a you know similar revenue stream that they were previously. And that's that's the whole problem with people's excitement over this idea of like streaming TV is because, you know, I think we've talked about this on the show before. It, it it I think people's excitement would be valid if it, an entirely different set of companies kind of operated the internet infrastructure in this country, but the exact same companies who are overcharging you for your cable, which I actually don't I actually don't agree with that, but many people think so. Um, people are the same the ones opinion who that that they're paying for stuff they don't want,
1: which which is sort of true, but not really true. But you you know
0: what I mean, right? Where yes. I I
1: think that the company wants to get the same amount of money from you at the end of the day. Where it's allocated doesn't really matter,
0: right? And so that's why I guess that's why I don't I don't understand the excitement over this or the excitement over some you know mythical like Apple TV TV subscription. Like I just I just don't see I don't really see how that's any different than what where we're at today. I think it's kind of an important first step
1: for for Comcast because they have seen legitimately shrinking numbers in terms of total video subscriptions from customers and they understand that and this proves that they understand that the internet and uh IPTV and and kind of on demand viewing is going to be more important going forward i just i'm not sure I, I, this this is not the start of what will eventually replace tv so I guess I'm just not really sure if what this $15 a month is really getting people, except for uh, it's it gives you the equivalent of HBO Go and access to a couple of broadcast networks, which I think solves certain people's like minor wants. But I mean, it would never work for a customer like me, like because it, it it there's no option to include like Comcast Sportsnet or any of the the content I actually want to watch. So, yeah, I I think it's kind of an important first step. But I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. Like, again, if this does become popular, the price will probably gradually get raised. I mean, it will, of course, include more channels, which just makes it basically an internet-based cable TV replacement, which is not – which is I don't think exactly what people want. And also, if a, a service provided by somebody else becomes really popular, Comcast will just implement bandwidth caps. So yeah, yeah, I'm just not really sure what to think, but I do think it's kind of important, kind of. Or I mean, I'm just not sure how it's important yet, because again, like there's uh, I've, I've been meaning to kind of exam or like th- think more about the issue like of unbundling and cord cutters, and I never really thought it was happening but there have been uh, there have been smart people who have brought up a couple of points that I haven't thought about, which are that the way people consume content and whether or not they're actually watching television anymore is changing because of the internet, and also there's a lot of people who will never subscribe to cable, so as people die or like you, like as as the market gets younger, there's people who have never had something and will continue to never have something so It's complicated.
0: Very complicated.
1: (sighs) All right. And you have no interest in Office 2016 for Mac? No, not really.
0: It's better. But it's still not as good as it is on Windows.
1: Well, of course not, but it's better.
0: Well, as a power Excel user, I think I I can legitimately use that phrase. Um, I I need the best. You know what PaySpecial does? Very much uh, Alt
1: ESV. So again, when you mention that, because again, I don't use I I don't use Excel in Windows a ton, or at least not for advanced stuff. Uh, Is that all the letters together, or just in a row? In a row. Does that just bring up each menu item as it goes? Like, does do any of the top level menus pop down?
0: No, it 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 just basically steps through what you would you know click through with a mouse. So it does. I'm sorry, I guess I didn't didn't follow what you were asking.
1: Like from like you know where like you have those like you have you, uh like the what what are they called? Because it's different on a PC. Like the like the insert format tools data like the 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 little drop down menus at the very top. Yes. Those don't come down? Like isn't it just navigating through those?
0: Yeah, it it is. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes.
1: All right. I think that added nothing for the listener, but No. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Office is getting better for uh for Mac. So. Well, good. Good for them. The o- the only thing I find weird is that it's only available to Office 365 subscribers.
0: Yeah, I guess it's not going to be available for retail until September. Yeah, I find that find that interesting. Well, it seems like just a way to promote Office 365, which is clearly what, you know, Microsoft is trying to get people onto.
1: Yeah. Trying to pull in Adobe.
0: Which uh, which actually is a is a nice segue to uh, the last topic I wanted to bring up. What's that? Uh, so I'm you know I'm looking through here. So there's some some article that got posted this week. Uh, Maturing software and empires past by uh, was it? I don't know if, if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Carlos Gomez. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, kind of an in- interesting read. Um, have you have you had a chance to look at this? Anyway,
1: I'm I'm trying to write more, but yeah, it's 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 the whole point is that i, I iTunes is is a gosh darn mess. Uh, and, and 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 why is that? And and I think we all know why. Because it, oh, how long well now you you became like a full-time P, uh, Mac user
0: in 2009. Yeah, but I had been using iTunes just about since it first came out. So, yeah, I mean, I,
1: I, iTunes and it just, yeah, Apple seems completely resigned to just letting iTunes be this weird mess, mainly, I think, just because the vast majority, like, uh, Mac OS 10 does not enjoy the success that iOS devices do, by any means. It is doing double-digit growth in year-over-year unit sales in terms of Mac hardware sold, whereas the PC market in general is contracting but they are still not in terms of like market share anywhere close to windows it's still i think like 11% to like uh, something else i'm sure linux has some share of it but on on windows if anybody wants to use an iphone or an ipad or an ipod they must use itunes which kind of ergo you it, that means that itunes has to be the thing that does everything for both platforms, which for better or for worse, mainly for worse, means that iTunes is doomed to just be this terrible mess because every new feature they do that's related to music or syncing or restoring or Apple TV or any of the things that Apple does that are not Macs has to go through iTunes. And I I just worry and I think that that's going to be a super Microsoftian problem going forward. And I don't like making that comparison, but it ma- it makes me nervous.
0: You know, I guess though. So I I read through this, this your article, and I I think it's it's a good comparison. But I think what I was having a hard time making the connection with was you know Microsoft's reliance on Windows reflected relying on kind of like their core money generating or revenue generating product. Whereas, you know, iTunes is sort of just a small feature, which is part of the overall ecosystem. And it, it's really like that. I, I disagree. Because oh. the 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 thing is, if, if you, let's say
1: you do an update on your iPhone, like let's say you install an iOS 9 beta product, and in the middle of it, your iPhone craps out, and your, your phone won't boot anymore, and you only have a PC. What, what what do you do? Or what do you have to do? You have to connect it to iTunes. Exactly. So uh, iTunes is the thing that enables all of Apple's other things to work. So there's no way that iTunes can ever like uh, unsuck or like can, can never really step back unless they decide to break it up or completely rewrite it. And that means uh, addressing all these complex problems that have been built into it. Because of that. Because again, on Windows, iTunes is the only thing that Apple writes. Other, Like, do they even make Safari for Windows anymore? I
0: don't believe so, no.
1: Like, iTunes is the only thing that they make, and iTunes for Windows has to be the catch-all that supports Apple TV, iPods, iPads, and iPhones. Even though things are now heavily cloud-based, it still all has to work from that. So I'm not talking about iTunes in the sense that it's a music player, the whole point is that iTunes is way more than a music player. And for something that is the backbone, unfortunately, for like 70 or, or 80% of their sales is just kind of weird that they're willing to let it just be that kind of Windows
0: just mess. So you're, you know, you kind of admit that you don't really necessarily have like a fantastic solution. Well, this, no, I do but...
1: on, on OS X, which is you'd have a music application. Like like on OS X, it's not that way in uh, on Windows, but audiobooks have been pulled out and moved into the iBooks application. And Photos and that kind of stuff is inside Photos. It's not that way on Windows. So the solution would be to break it up into smaller, more focused applications. Like back in the old days on OS X, there was an application called iSync that allowed you to synchronize your... Uh, your Motorola rocker or your uh, like Palm pilot with the built-in calendar applications and all that kind of stuff. I don't understand why that shouldn't exist again and why there shouldn't be a music applications and a photos application and a videos application that breaks up all these really complicated ideas and something where Apple music could exist and not be just this complete mess that it currently is, which is currently just strapped to iTunes. Hmm. Anyway, it's 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 weird. iTunes is currently using seven hundred and twelve megabytes of memory. It is doing nothing. <laughs> should that be that way? No, I don't think it
0: should be. <sighs> well, it, it's it's a good piece. If we <laughs> if we had uh, if we had show notes, it would certainly be in there. Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna keep keep writing crap until it it's good. No, you're you're a good writer, yeah. much much better writer than I.
1: Again, just uh, fire up Squarespace, spend an hour trying to figure out how to write something,
0: and then go for it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll come back to that. Yeah,
1: many, many uh, bottles of soda stream later. <laughs>
0: yes. All right. All right.